Welcome to another episode of Daddy Unscripted, part of Osiris Media. My name is Tim Wheaton, and I am your host. I really need my daughter to record some new censorship spots, so I will give you one of my own right here. This episode has some f- words in it. It has its share of some foul language, so I would recommend either putting in your AirPods or listening to this one away from any kids or sensitive ears. I have the red E on every episode, but for this one, it's actually there for a reason. Consider yourself warned. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Daddy Unscripted, a true Daddy Unscripted episode, I should say, since I've got these different side roads of the podcast now, which I'm super excited about. But this is an actual Daddy Unscripted episode, which means me talking with a fellow dad about his dad, about being a dad. And a lot of it really more so is about his story of life growing up with his parents and his family and some of the tenuous relationship with his own father. I will tell you guys, this is two years old, this recording, which there are a few reasons which I don't need to go into that it ended up being on the shelf for this time, but this ends up being perfect. I'm putting it out almost exactly two years from the time that it was recorded. So it's right around Mother's Day from that time as well, which is cool. It's pre-COVID. It's pre-all the stuff that's gone on in the last two years. So I do like having some of those episodes because it's just it's a kind of a different focus. And it's interesting for me when I'm going back and listening to them as well. But while I was giving it these last polishes recently, it really jumped out at me. And you guys will see how we just kind of were bantering and talking. And, you know, I hit record and we just kind of were going for it and chatting about whatever and very loose talk and jumping from topic to topic. And then we got into it and got into the dad stuff and it really went from like this level 10 of us just laughing and joking around with each other to like the other level of 10 of some heavy conversations, some um, very real talk about his relationship with his dad, about who his dad was. Um, There's some stuff here that will, I had kind of forgotten, but I will not again, after, after the work that I've put into this, I will not be forgetting this conversation and some of the stories that Dave Almy was sharing with me and now with all of you. But before we get into that, let me do the little bit of business and remind you that Daddy Unscripted is very proud to be part of Osiris Media. And what that means is I am part of a fantastic podcast network that focuses on music and culture podcasts. There are so many great things going on with Osiris right now. So many cool podcasts. Later this year, they're going to be launching their first fiction podcast called Sugar Maple, and that should be coming out in fall of 2021. There's a weekly music trivia podcast that started very recently. It's called Mystery Mixtape, and you can listen on Spotify or you can go to OsirisPod.com and find Mystery Mixtape. There's actual like 
you're going to win stuff. It's pretty cool. So check that out. Go to OsirisPod.com to find all of the various podcasts and including this one, if you want to listen there and not listen through either your Apple native app or I, I mean, you're already listening, but next time or when you tell a friend and they say, I don't have Apple podcasts, I don't even have a phone, then you can say, uh, A, your voice is kind of weird, and B, you should go to OsirisPod.com on the interwebs on your Apple 2E computer, because I'm assuming if they don't have a smartphone, that's what they're computing on, or their IBM computer, <laughs> and they can go to the website there. I will tell you, I'm going to give a little shout out to a podcast on Osiris that's called Late Era, and it is hosted by Andy Cush, Sam Sadomsky, and Winston Cook Wilson, who are all musicians and in the music world in one way or multiple ways, actually. And they examine overlooked records from some of the most notable artists of the last 60 years. They recently brought out an episode on Van Morrison, and it's it's really interesting. The albums that they go into, it is truly overlooked records, and some of them for a very good reason. But they've done artists like this latest one on Van Morrison, Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney, I should say, Janet Jackson, Frank Sinatra. It's really interesting. So go to OsirisPod.com, find Late Era after you listen to this, subscribe to their podcast, and check out some really interesting conversations on some of these albums that you may not have known even existed, but you will now. And they will kind of stick with you, I think. I will add that Osiris is partnered with Jambase. Now that I've been saying this for so long, concerts are actually happening. And some of you may have been very... uh frustratedly trying to enter that world of trying to buy tickets again within the last couple of weeks. Raise your hand. Yep. I'm, I've got mine raised and concerts are happening again. It's really so cool that that is happening again. And for those of us who feel safe enough to do that or who are vaccinated and going to some kind of safe uh, outdoor location, whatever that means to you, but go to jambase.com. People are still doing streaming shows and stuff like that. So you can stay, you know, it all depends on where you are in the world, obviously, and in your uh, community, in your county, state, city, whatever it may be. But go to jambase.com to find out what is going on with live music. They are still empowering all of us on ways to go see live music. Okay, business done. I don't have anything else to sell you guys this time, okay? So let me just tell you, we we hit the ground running in this episode. I know I said that before, but we really, I hit record and we were just already kind of talking. So it will jump right in when we get started right now. But I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this episode with myself and Dave Almy. And a shout out to Bruce former guest Bruce Mendelson for bringing us together for this. Thank you so much for that, Bruce. And here is my conversation with Dave Almy. I have a younger brother who, when I was 27, was taking him to hockey practice. He was probably nine or 10 at that time. And, uh, I mentioned something about going to the record store to buy an album and he was quiet in the back seat and just said, Oh, you're so old. 
thanks nick walk to hockey practice yeah get out here here's cab fare because that's what i used to have to do exactly uphill both ways in the snow yeah exactly barefoot (laughs) well i can say that and i'm sure that you know if as you've been around or listened to people who are boston sports fans the the use of the word fuck is a um treasured Yes. Um, and it's like an heirloom that the uh, the families hand down to one another uh, as a as a precious precious commodity uh, mm-hmm. in language and uh, the ability to use it in all its multifaceted ways. Uh, so I, I I may curse every once in a while. I, I'll try not to be um, overly uh, uh, use of invective. Keep it to a minimum. <laughs> So yeah, if you're, I'm not going to bleep you. So, um, everything is fine. I have to say that I, as, as a goof, I, uh, a friend of mine and I do play by play for college lacrosse teams on the West coast. And we were doing a uh, semifinal game and we had a good time doing it. And we're getting ready to do the finals game the next day when the league called up and said, you know, we're just going to do it ourselves. Thanks much. And I responded with a, uh, what did the FCC get on you? Uh-huh. And there was a pause and I got a text back saying, yeah, you can't talk about dropping acid during our games. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, I was like, man, come on. It's w- it's West coast college <laughs> lacrosse. There's nobody listening. Uh, that is awesome. Oh, yeah. So I got fired. Were you? I mean, were you saying like this game would be so much better if we had dropped acid during it? No, or it was, was more it? along the lines of something crazy happened, and it was like I, you know, I haven't been so confused seeing something like that since the last time I dropped acid. And of course, the irony of the whole thing is I've never dropped acid my entire life. It just oh, seemed like awesome. it, it just sort of seemed like the appropriate thing to say at that time, mm-hmm. which was an instinct I should have suppressed. <laughs> <laughs> Good time, but we're uh, we'll be back in. Don't you worry, we'll be back online. Well, you have this now as part of your proof. And exactly. and maybe you could have some people who have dropped acid come <laughs> to the hearing with you. Exactly. And like you can do some kind of test, not an acid test yeah. like the dead used to do, but something a little different. In Dave's defense, this is a lot like dropping acid. <laughs> it was a perfectly good analogy, sir. <laughs> We'll try to steer away from it, too. We'll steer away from the um, acid yeah. references. My time is dropping acid as a father. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, which is father, fatherhood. You want to talk about fatherhood and dropping acid are probably, <laughs> there's an analogy to be drawn there, too, because there are moments when you're like, this is... Mm, this is like being on acid. The yes. most surreal thing I've ever been involved with in my life. We have an older son, so... When he was born, you're going through that process of learning what babies are and responses and how to handle them. You know, it's a team effort, right? You know, if if you're having a hard moment, you know, the wife can come in. And if the wife is having a hard moment, you can you can come in and try to save the day as much as you possibly can. Um, But after him, we had twins. We had twin girls. Mm. And when they were babies... You know, all of a sudden now it's there's no zone defense. I right. mean, it is you're man to man. You're outnumbered. And yeah. you when those babies get up and they get up at the same time and your wife's got one and she's handling one and you've got the other. There's no nobody's tagging in to come save the day. You are right. you are on it. Now, the only benefit is 
you know from practice with the first one that when they cry, their heads aren't going to pop off their shoulders or something like right. that. You have yeah, experience. Yeah. So whereas with the first one, you know, you're putting them down in the crib to go to sleep and they make a little peep or, you know, they, they roll over a little bit. You know, you want them back in there and you pick them back up and you make sure yeah. they're fine. With the twins, it was shut up in there. It is time to go to bed. I will put a piece of plywood over the top of your crib to stop you from getting out, you horrible little mm. people. So there's a certain difference. I would say that the girls might even be a little tougher because of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what was the gap between your son and the girls? Uh, three years. Just about, oh, just about three years. So there was a point in time, and I will say this because the girls were, uh, they were conceived via IVF. They, there was a point in time where I was the father of quadruplets. Oh, wow. For two weeks. Uh, my, my wife comes from a military family. And when, you know, you're doing this interface with the OBGYN and the person's helping with this fertility stuff. And, you know, you, you basically, you go through this process where you get viable embryos. So we go through the process, we get four viable embryos. And what you typically do in that situation is you say, okay, you, you know, we're going we're gonna to put two in and you know, bring, try to bring them to term. And then we're going to put two on ice if we want to do this again at another time, in case something goes mm-hmm. sideways. So we'll do two inside and we're going to put two aside. And uh, my wife says, no, we're going to put in all four. Oh, and I sa- he says, the doctor says, no, I'm sorry, you, you clearly didn't understand. Uh, we are going to put two inside and try to bring them to term and put the other two on ice in case we want to try this process again. And she says, no, I heard you. Absolutely. We are putting all four in. We don't leave anybody behind. <laughs> God. And as the military, like leave no man behind, leave no man behind. So this was, this was the moment. So at this point, the color is draining out of my face. Mm-hmm. The doctor looks over at me, says, I'm going to give you two a minute. And leaves the room. And my wife, I can see it so clearly in my mind's eye. My wife slowly pivots over to me and looks at me and says, we're doing all four. And I said, okie dokie. And so for two weeks, I was, I was the father, you know, the the dad of the Almy quads. But through the natural process, I think I was a couple got absorbed. And so we ended up with uh, the two girls. Um, fortunate to this day for those two crazy ladies because four oh my god i mean i i remember being at a park and watching two parents change the diapers of triplets mm-hmm. and that was like a benny hill video it's sure, high yeah. speed. you know like it's little kids were going every which way and they're chasing <laughs> them down and one gets down and then the other one gets up and starts running you know with the diaper half on it was so i had visions of that plus one going on in my head which i didn't eat a lot that week I'm sure. I'm yeah, my sure. my appetite was thoroughly suppressed that week. Uh, I cannot even. Im- I mean, even like sometimes watching parents with three, and I've had this conversation with many people I know that are parents of three, and been like, "I'm my hats off to you guys." Like, I I cannot imagine at any point being outnumbered and (laughs) dealing with more than just us being able to each like you said we each have one we're on one right man on man yep defense like we got this down kind of on lock 
and that's that. But like having a third one that you yeah, you're trying to kill the power play all the time. Yeah, yeah. A, a family on eternal penalty uh, kill. on eternal penalty kill it is uh, you know you've got strategy your diagram and plays like a son uh, of a bitch right it's happening all the time and yeah. I will say also like given this day and age this is different from from our parents generation having three kids that's a lot of kids now mm-hmm. like everybody I knew when I was a kid had three or four kids yeah yeah now it's you know you have you have three ah so many yeah and, what are you doing and my wife's got a friend who has nine Oh, all natural, all natural. I mean, wow. they get Christmas cards from the Pope saying thank you. Like, <laughs> I mean, because they are they are Catholic. So, you know, there are uh, there's there's obviously some uh, uh, religious undertones to the whole thing. But you, I mean, the thing that's interesting about them is, I mean, they go to the mall as a family of 11. Yeah. Like people feel compelled to say things to them that are ridiculous like i'm sure i'm sure like you know have you ever heard of birth control like strangers yeah. walking up to you in in the mall yeah. as you're going shopping for 27 pairs of underwear or whatever but i, I don't know nine is nine is more than you, you can't even get your head around it yeah they didn't even make a tv show in the 80s about that no no nine nine is nine is definitely enough eight is enough and nine is nine is just crushing. push push you over the edge <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know dick Patton went to them and said do you want to make a show about nine no nobody would ever believe it it's not even yeah. <laughs> no eight is enough <laughs> and that was it and that's how they, oh that's a perfect name for the show yeah there you go nine is stupid eight is enough yep and uh <laughs> some some child actor just got absorbed basically exactly right <laughs> <laughs> Speaking back to my own experience there was there was absor- <laughs> absorption issues how many siblings do you have uh, I have four siblings. Okay. So my mom and dad divorced when I was pretty little. Uh, I was uh, probably six or seven oh. when they split. Uh, my dad remarried uh, after some time, after a little bit of time, and then after a while, he they had a so I had he had a second family, and so I was a freshman in college when. My so I have a, I have a sister who I was about I'm 14, 15 years older than, and then mm-hmm. my only brother was born uh, when I was a freshman in college. So wow. I've got a I've got a younger brother, but I've got an oh, I've got an older sister, and then a younger sister who's a full sister, and then a half brother and a half sister. So, but we're pretty spread out in terms of of ages. So you are then number. two two in the order i am the deuce okay. and i am for a while i was you know the middle child before my dad had a second family so i have mm-hmm. all the spectacular spectacular qualities of being the the middle child with the super achieving older sister and oh, the, really? the the younger sister you know who's the bit ba- well, at that time was the baby and gets a lot of attention so i was right. the guy in the middle i was the uh, hey i'm over here look at me Mm-hmm. Kind of guy, uh, trying to uh, be the 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 prankster, and you know, obviously, I'm not going to be the star student athlete of the older sister, and I'll never be as cute as the younger sister. So I just got to figure out my own way. So I'll burn this couch. That'll get some attention. Is that a true story? Were you really playing it out like that? Uh, you know, I think when you look back on it, right? I think <laughs> as I've had, you know, our kids, you really start to, at least for me, ascribe a lot to birth order. Right. And, mm-hmm. and what that means to those 
siblings and how it shapes their personalities. And then, of course, you watch your own kids and then you reflect back on your time as a kid and you go, wow, geez, that kind of uh, explains a lot a bit about my uh, where I'm at and where, what, how I ended up as crazy as, as this. So, or at least how it shaped, uh, shaped your personality. So I think it did to a certain degree, it kind of played probably not quite to the hyperbolic extremes that I just described. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I definitely had the super achieving older sister. Uh, and I definitely had the, the, the cute and, and, you know, the younger sister, the baby. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then it was me, um, in the middle kind of going, you know, looking at both ends of this thing and saying, oh, all right, well, let's see what we can do here. Let's see what, what, yeah, what yeah. kind of little avenue can I carve out for myself? So when your when your dad had his second gaggle taking place, which wasn't really a gaggle, but mm, two. did you actually was there and not necessarily conscious but was there a shift in mentality in any way because of your kind of position change i don't think so only because we were older right at that point right. i was you know when my sister kate was born i was you know 14 15 years old so okay. i think a lot of that die is cast with you know some tweaks along the way like you i think you are on your way to becoming the person you're going to be mm-hmm so I don't see that there was any significant shift or change. And, you know, also because this is, these were half brothers and sisters. I, right. you know, I didn't spend that much time with them because mm-hmm. I would see, you know, we'd be over at my father's house like every other weekend kind of thing. And then, you know, of course, when my younger brother was born, I was in college. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we're still developing our relationship with each other. And that's, you know, 30 odd years in. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it's just, you know, just from present standpoint. So what was it like for you with your stepmom? Well, she's terrific. So I, I, you know, people have horror stories about stepmothers. I'm really blessed with my stepmother because I've known her. I mean, I've known her almost my entire you know conscious life. Hmm. So, you know, I have memories of her when I was eight years old. So she's been in my life for for almost all of it, mm-hmm. and has been a presence. All, and when my dad died, you know, she was sort of the presence and keeping his memory very uh, alive, and uh, sort of became his um, almost terrible term, but almost like his proxy. Right? He kind of lived mm-hmm. through her and uh, and carried that forth. So I, I I recognize how blessed I am to have uh, a stepmother like like her who has really been around and played a, a a pretty fundamental role in my life from the get-go well that's that's fantastic and that's not i don't think that's necessarily common for a lot of people yeah uh, absolutely not and and especially it sounds like well you were maybe in your teens when they got married yeah so like like young like 11 or 12 i think mm-hmm. i'm not terrible with ages and dates got it you know somebody that, well my family's gonna listen to this and they're gonna be like oh my god maybe you were you were 20 what are you talking <laughs> about he did drop a lot of acid right he's getting the dates all yeah. messed yeah. up and oh yeah. god he hit his head again <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry everybody about the dates <laughs> so how was that transition since you're a 11, 12 year old kid bringing on? I mean, even though you knew her since before that, it wasn't like, hey, I just came home with this woman from Vegas. Well, here's your stepmom. But like, 
You know, it's interesting. So, I mean, she was in my life all the time. So there was never really this like, oh, here's this big change. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because it it, it was also when you're that young, when divorce happens and, you know, other people come in your life, you don't really have a perception for what's normal. At least I didn't. Like what's a normal family and what's a not normal family, right? You're just, you're just living your life and stuff is happening and, Okay, so they're not married anymore. Okay, whatever. That just happens and you move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, I, I read about people whose parents divorce when they're much older, when when the children are older. And I, I, I can recognize how challenging that would be, right? Because you yeah. have the perception of it all. Like this is our family and, you know, this is how relationships are supposed to work. I didn't really had that. I mean, everything was sort of just happening and, and just sort of rolled with it. So the idea or the perception that something was changing was muted Mm -hmm. or maybe this really just speaks to my lack of perception or my (laughs) well you were an 11 12 year old boy or 8 through 12 or whatever so yeah so and then you know when my dad i remember when my dad told me he was gonna marry my stepmother there was an element of what took you so long i mean you guys have been Mm -hmm. dating for like forever like two years oh my god yeah. it's been so long or you know whatever it was longer than that but there was more of an element of okay good finally you guys are doing this versus yo how could you do that mm-hmm. uh, because again there was no sense of perception and i remember feeling i did the first time i really as a kid felt a lot of empathy for my mom in that whole process was when my friend's parents were starting to get divorced and all of the moms would come to my mom and ask her about what do I do and you know what's the mm-hmm. process and how should this unfold it was the first time that I really had this perception of oh okay well this was a little different and my mother is now the divorcee whisperer and mm-hmm. that can't be a lot of fun yeah and did your mom ever end up remarrying? She did not. My mom is far too busy to, to get huh. remarried. My mom is one of the most remarkable people I know from the standpoint of, you know, she got married to my dad when she was 19. Oh, wow. So she's pretty young. She had her first kid a couple of years later, I think at 21. And when the marriage failed, there was this... Uh, my mother has gone through so many reinventions of herself that it is it's pretty remarkable to watch right she has been everything from a college student getting her uh you know going back to school and getting her degree she worked on Jerry Brown's presidential campaign in the 80s hmm. uh she was commissioner of fisheries for the state of Massachusetts uh, she is currently owns a, a bed and breakfast in upstate Maine. Uh, she has started an events business. I mean, she, there is no one who will tell my mother that that you shouldn't do that. That's a terrible mm-hmm. idea. She is um, one of the most remarkably entrepreneurial people I've ever met in my entire life. Sometimes to the immense frustration of her children. Mm -hmm. but i mean she is uh her process of reinvention and creativity and i i I know that's where i get it uh is from her i've always sort of gone from one thing to the next and it's just sort of that 
that interest in being you know, mentally stimulated. Yeah, uh, I definitely picked it up from her. So she's right. So absolutely zero time to get married. Hmm. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not sure anybody could actually keep up with her, to be totally honest. She's <laughs> 75 and running a bed and breakfast in upstate Maine. Wow. Yeah, that is. Uh, and, you know, upstate Maine, that that's weather. That's living. Yeah, that is not Key West. No, it is not. She just called me the other day. She just said she just planted 100 potato plants. It's like she was outside. It's like I, I uh, you did what? <laughs> yeah, and I'm opening up a bar next week. What? Yeah, I mean, you you have to keep a list. Wow. And are you the only one that is out here in California from your family? Or I was for a long time. Uh, you know, I I graduated college. Uh, met my wife in college. Graduated uh, in 1990. Spent a year in Japan. Following that. And when mm-hmm. I returned, came back to California and just stayed uh, and have mm-hmm. been uh, living here uh, in this same house for over 25 years now. So oh, wow. definitely um, people have stopped asking when I'm moving back. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because well. it's just not going to happen. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I having not been a person who uh, lived for a long amount of time anywhere else. And my former job, I had to go to Cleveland very frequently. And I, that's too bad. They used to ask me to move out there. Mm. And I said, Are you really, are, are you asking me if I want to move from Southern California to Cleveland? It's a no huge thanks. relocation. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody I, moves from Southern California to Cleveland. Yeah. I, I decided to go against that mass amount of traffic that was just a constant flow I from tell you, Orange County. Yeah. Just like basically plane loads of people <laughs> and their belongings emptying out in Cleveland. Yeah. I think that's why they haven't finished the uh, bullet train to Vegas because they've been working on the one to Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, the, and that's the glory of living in California, right? If I want to see winter, I can drive to it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I just went up, I, my, my, my son was back from college last weekend and we went up skiing. It was 70 degrees uh, in Tahoe and, and it was, uh, there you go. If I want it, I can get to it. Yeah. That is one of the joys of this area. Really. Don't, don't, don't tell anybody. Let's <laughs> keep moving here. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So let's jump back and um, I feel like I should say I'm not going to be able to insert this fluidly, but um, just as a reminder, because I'm I'm assuming the way I'm going to edit this together, I will say that we're just hitting the ground running. But I'm here with Dave Almy. Welcome, Dave. I'm very excited to be here now that we're 30 minutes into the conversation. I know. Now that now that we've already sat and watched uh, Titanic together and um, had a, a pork roast, now I will welcome you into my home. Right. I do feel like I'm king of the world. <laughs> so let's go back uh, because you kind of touched on it, but let's go back whether it means beyond your dad, mm. but um, definitely going through his story. So, you know, he grew up the youngest of three and he was i think it's fair to say the enfant terrible of the family i mean he was the youngest boy i think he was and everybody would probably say that he was fairly spoiled growing up in the, the southern part of massachusetts uh, below cape cod in a fairly 
tight knit family of um, some strong personalities. Mm. And my dad was always the funniest person in the room. He, uh, he just had a very natural ability to be engaging with people and parlayed that into a pretty successful real estate business uh, where he was doing commercial real estate in the city of Boston and always had a something to prove he did not have a college degree and I think carried that chip on his shoulder a little bit and it was a motivational force to be successful. He was very, very driven by success and the desire to be successful in the sort of I guess for that generation and for most generations, like to be monetarily successful was uh, what he needed mm-hmm. to um, smooth down that chip from not having the college degree. And I don't, I'm not saying the college degree was everything that, that made him motivated, but I, I feel like it was definitely a part of it. And I mean, he put the, he was the kind of guy who put very specific goals against what, success was going to look like. It was definitely, he was the, I need to make a million dollars by the time I'm 40 kind of guy. So he was, mm. he was very driven and you know, did, like I said, he was in commercial real estate and he advanced up the ranks of that, you know, and that's a boom bust cycle in that business. And so he went through a couple of that and the stresses associated with that. And we watched that as kids, you know, as you do with all parents. And it was probably the pretty traditional thing, right? He would come home from work. He would pour himself a couple glasses of vodka, drink those, disappear upstairs for a while, change into comfortable clothes, uh, drink a bottle of wine with dinner, uh, fall asleep in front of the TV by eight, and then back upstairs, probably out cold by by nine o'clock at night, rinse, recycle, repeat. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's fair to say there was a bit of a drinking issue. In the family, there's a guy with one kidney because he had one taken out uh, because he had uh, he had cancer of the kidney at, when he was 40. Oh, when he did you say 40? Yeah, he was 40, 42 oh, wow. years old, and he had a kidney taken out uh, mm. because of cancer on him. So, you know, watching him, um, you know, like I said, because mom and dad were divorced, you know, we spent not a ton of time um, in my father's house. Like I said, weekends and usually one month during the summer which is where we really kept uh, an eye on it. And he was, I don't want to make him sound like he was a stuttering drunk or anything like that, but mm-hmm. he was a guy who definitely needed to depressurize mm-hmm. after the day, after, you know, were some pretty aggressive days in the business world of Boston real estate to pull the pressure pin out a little bit. And that was one of the ways he did it. So that was, you know, that was sort of the day-to-day experience. And he, he was he was the life of the party. There was, I mean, people were drawn to him. He was the kind of guy who would be Santa at every holiday party. Mm-hmm. Um, usually three sheets to the wind. So you never knew what present was going to go where and or how it was going to get delivered. But, you know, he was the guy who was going to do that. And uh, he was the guy who would show up to parties and, you know, the hula skirts and just, you know, play, played touch football with the same group of guys uh, every Sunday. Uh, and just, you know, they was he was generally the life of the party. He was um, mm-hmm. 
He was a very, very funny man. He just kept a collection of jokes that he would refer back to. He was, um, we, people would request him to do certain jokes during parties that were sort of Im- infamous. Mm-hmm. And so he was a sort of naturally gifted storyteller. So as a son, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's your, that's who you're looking to. That's, yeah. that's the guy. And so that's how you try as myself. I know you try to pattern what your ideal is and that, you know, I think for most people, they say, well, you may not have always the easiest relationship with your father. Uh, I think it's fair to say, you know, you, you can't help, but try to pattern what you're doing after it, after, uh, you know, what his, what his experience is and what you see in it. And I think the other, the other piece of that, and you see the way people interact with him and how excited they were when he was around in big group events. And you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, my dad's the guy who is making everybody laugh and they are drawn to him in that way. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that lays a fairly significant impression on you mm-hmm. when you're, when you're a kid. And uh, it's, it was just fascinating to watch because I do not come by that personality trait naturally. You know, that is, uh, that was something that um, I had to kind of work on as you know, to try to create that similar kind of, charisma or that my father mm-hmm. just sort of had i guess is the best way to put it and was your your sister like that or was that kind of he was oh my older sister is very much like that both of my oh, si- yeah both of my sisters are incredibly charismatic and engaging people uh they're hmm. they're both artists uh, they are the kinds of people who just draw people to them both of them mm-hmm. uh uh, and I feel like that's something that they do almost effortlessly where uh, that is definitely a something I need to const I have to think about it in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always uh, I'm always humbled by how naturally they are able to do it. And, uh, you know, as someone who owns his own business and so much of that is the day to day interaction with clients and things like that. It's uh, it's a, it's a skill I wish I had in, in the, in the quantities that they do. Mm-hmm. Especially dealing with marketing and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, she's uh, marketing is all about the, the, the development of ideas and communicating those ideas and trying to get people to buy into those ideas. And their salesmanship and charisma are required on a day in day out basis. Sometimes you got it. And sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. My wife and I had probably a three hour conversation of the day about the nature of charisma. Mm-hmm. And can you learn it? Or are people just naturally charismatic? Mm-hmm. And my dad was naturally charismatic. He just was, he just had something about it. You can't quite put your finger on why some people are charismatic. And other yeah. people aren't. Yeah, uh, it's not. I don't think it's like a physical appearance thing because I've you know probably a funny looking people who are extremely charismatic. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just I find it fascinating. I, I maybe that's because as someone who <laughs> is not that charismatic, it's fascinating to see people who really are. Yeah, and try to figure out what it is about them that draws other people to them. Yeah. I I think there is definitely something to that where you can kind of tell at some point and to some extent with some people what uh, or or what is coming naturally to them and how hard others are actually working at it. Like you, you can't see their 
them sweating at their brow, like trying trying to be charismatic. But it yeah, I know, right? Exactly. You can definitely tell when it's a natural thing for for people, and it is it is. I mean, exactly like if we are the ones that are watching them and saying, wow, look how charismatic they are. We are doing kind of the same thing that everybody else that is drawn into them. Just potentially we are like thinking on a different wavelength at the same time of like, wow, look at how are you doing this? And I think that's there's there's a part of it that is the ease with which they do it Mm -hmm. enhances the charisma. It's almost like a feedback loop to a certain yeah, degree, right? It's a cycle. Yeah. It's a cycle. It just happens because they are comfortable engaging and making people feel like they are the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating quality. And like I said, my, my dad just had it in spades when he, when he died and I was at the memorial service. I mean, these people were coming up to me with stories of him as you know throughout his life cycle talking about how these different situations when you know they were drawn to him in moments both in uh, as a both a friend and as just this life of the party larger than life character mm-hmm. that was you know the longest memorial service i still have been to to this day because people weren't leaving they were just wanted to continue to have those conversation about it sort of just can keep that spirit alive for a little while longer yeah so i don't i don't know how to really like lead you into that but i know you said that your dad was pretty young when when he died oh yeah he uh he died at 54 wow 54 years old he had pancreatic cancer which you know for anybody who's been around that disease uh when you find out you have pancreatic cancer there's an element of oh well uh it's, yeah, it's been seriously. fun it's uh, i mean they've obviously a lot of improvements in care have gone on since he died in 1996 so it's uh mm-hmm. but at that time uh it was uh you know it's it essentially was a death sentence at that time and you know you have to understand that my my father had access to some of the best care in the world because he was on the board at the Dana Farber Institute which is a cancer specialty organization oh wow in Boston where some of um you know those leading medical research is is being done on a daily basis so it's not Mm -hmm. like he suffered for access but i mean it was uh 13 months from diagnosis to death um (sighs) which as a at that time i think i was 26 when this process was going on and uh you know it's it's a it's a hard thing to watch the person who is the charismatic center of attention, the quote unquote life of the party guy, begin to wither. Mm-hmm. And that's the process that happens. I mean, it's, you know, it's the weight loss and the surgeries and the, the hospital stays. It just is this unbelievable toll uh, that it takes on him. So it's, it's a bit jarring, I think, to watch unsettling to watch a parent particularly your father as a son to watch your father who is the larger than life character weaken before you and rapidly yeah i mean this is something that takes place in just about a calendar year so it's 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 an adjustment and um you know i remember clearly that as he was 
as he was wrapping up, <laughs> as he was nearing the end, it was, I was living here in California and he was obviously back in Boston. And, uh, as he was getting towards the end of his life, there's these moments where my stepmother would call and say, Hey, you should really get back here. This looks like this might be the end. And so I would fly back and I would get to the hospital and they say, Oh no, you know, he's had a, he's had a, you know, a turnaround and he's actually feeling better. And so we'll go back home as so we take him back home and I fly back. And then about a week and a half would go by, oh gosh, you know, it's, it's bad again. So there's this process of for in about a month where I was back and forth between Boston three or four times with the expectation that my father would die and he would turn around. But then in March, I flew back another moment. He's, this time my stepmother called and said, I, I know you've been doing this a lot, but I, this is, this is very serious now. And He's you know, basically on morphine to just keep the pain down while he while he ends while his life ends. So you should come back. So I I hop on a plane, fly back, land at Boston. I remember it was snowing like crazy. The city was kind of empty as I got from the airport to the hospital, and get up to uh, his floor, and the entire family is in his room. My father is you know drugged out and completely unconscious in the bed, and. They you know, say hello to everybody and they say, you know, we've been here for a while. We're going to go out and get something to eat. Do you want to come with? And I said, no, you guys go ahead. I just got here. So I'll sit with dad while you all, uh, while you go. So everybody leaves and I'm alone with my father. It's night. And so, you know, you just start babbling to this <laughs> captive audience <laughs> in front of you. Uh, just what's happening and, you know, what's happening in your life and just conversational type pieces. And I do this for about five minutes and he turns his head and opens his eyes and looks at me. And I'm a little surprised because, you know, he was clearly out and I said, hi dad. And he looks at me a, and I, 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 I've thought about this so many times that I, I'm to try to suss out if like there's any, like fantastical elements that I've put to it. But every time I go back, it's the same thing. He turns his head to me and a tear rolls out of his eye. And he says, what was I doing chasing the almighty dollar when I should have been home with my family? Oh my God. And he closed his eyes and that was the last thing he ever said to me. He died two days later. Wow. So it's interesting, right? I'm at this point in my life where I'm 27. I don't have kids yet. And this is the guy who set the goals, right? I want to make a million dollars by the time I'm 40 mm -hmm. and did all of it. And his dying words were, don't do that. Mm -hmm. He was wrong. He, he ended his life ended with regret that he expressed to me. And it, I, it's hard in the moment to appreciate the gravity of that because it was surprising and a little shocking yeah. that it came out and you, there's, you don't have, it's sometimes having that perspective of where you are in the world at that moment is hard, but taking, going away from that and reflecting on it. And as my kids were born, 
that's been the phrase that has it's just whoa it's burrowed into me Mm -hmm. you know what was i doing chasing the almighty dollar when i should have been home with my family and so i went from a trajectory that was probably not dissimilar from him to changing everything to you know working out of the house i've worked out of my house for the last 20 years the biggest company i've ever worked for was eight people um everything has been designed about being present in this time and it's interesting too as you know my kids are older my my son's in college and my girls are graduating from high school in 2 weeks hmm. and during their entire experience i've been here Mm-hmm. And that has, of course, from a business perspective, yeah, it's have opportunities gone by. Sure, of course they have, because I'm working out of a house in Northern California. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I'll ever feel regret about it. I don't think I'll ever be laying on my deathbed thinking, damn, I should have spent more time in the office or I should have grown the business bigger. Yeah, yeah. And I have a, you know, I have relationships with my kids that are invaluable to me. Mm -hmm. They're irreplaceable. They are central to who I am and they are, uh, and I've been able to be there the entire time Mm -hmm. and be present. I mean, (laughs) you and I were talking earlier about, uh, you know, my dad, when, when I was playing sports when I was a kid, I was playing little league. My dad would, uh, you know, drop me off for practice go into town, drink a couple of beers, come up, pick me up and then, or, you know, or go back to the house, maybe work a little and come back and pick me up. And that was practice. I mean, mm-hmm. my experience is I, I got to help coach and participate and be there and watch them through that entire process. So his regret is very palpable to me in those moments. What a, <laughs> I mean, it just gave me, immense pause when you said that and but what a gift really for him to give to you in that moment to give you that opportunity to let that drive such a different path for you i you know you think about silver linings and it's very trite to say those kinds of things and you talk about Mm -hmm. purpose and higher powers and all those kinds of things but it's hard to not reflect back on that moment and distill it down into some of those kinds of words Mm -hmm. because it is a gift. Yeah. And I have tried, not always successfully, but I've certainly tried to honor that. Yeah. I mean, when your when your father dies, and the last thing that he says to you is along those lines, it's kind of like, well, yo, yo, you know, fuck you, dad. I'm doing, I'm, I'm going out to Vegas, and you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be a professional gambler. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's hard to imagine just just discounting that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, so it was it was it was a transformational moment. I don't think there's many times you can look back in your life and say there's a moment before that happened. And then there was the life that was lived after that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's 100% what's happened with me. That's astounding. And I mean, really like 
you jokingly say like how do you how do you turn from that moment and not do that <laughs> thing but but i think you know that that's not a given you know out of a hundred people that have that experience a hundred are not going to do what you did so i i you know i don't know do they i mean people uh, you're you're I, I don't know i guess everybody's relationship with their parents is different yeah and maybe i'm being optimistic and thinking that you know my relationship with my father was not always easy because as his you know son for mm-hmm. the first son there's moments where you feel i guess disappointment would be the best way to put it right you're not following the exact same path mm-hmm. or the path that he maybe would have preferred or you know maybe some of the things that he wishes that you were you're not but you can't you still have a relationship with them and you still have. I had a great. I had a very good relationship. I mean, I wanted to. Don't, don't, I don't want to say like, oh my god, my my dad, my relationship was fraught. Uh, I loved my dad, and he was a he was a wonderful father. Uh, certainly not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. None of us are perfect fathers by any stretch of the imagination. Amen. That um, could speak to that honestly, and uh, <laughs> you know, raising my hand and saying, as God is watching, not a perfect father yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you you, I, my I guess my 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 optimistic side is that, you know, those relationships and the, the lessons learned come out on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. you would hope I'm, I'm, yeah. annoyed, I'm sure he said a bunch of stuff to me that I, <laughs> I've ignored completely. Sorry, dad. Right. You're listening. Sorry, dad. <laughs> and I, I think that's normal. You know, I think that that's kind of that thing that I'm thinking about. Like we have those, situations in our life that obviously are not always as blatant as that one is for you you know it's the the near miss on a freeway where um uh i don't know people who are texting on their phones or whatever and they somehow look up at the exact right moment and they don't get in that massive car crash but they are texting on their phones in their car the next day mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, it's, it's I, not to say that that's the same experience as this, but I think a lot of times in our lives, we have those little things that happen that can give us that, you know, that value that we always talk about where people are constantly on social media saying here, I just had this reminder for whatever it was, you know, my a family member passed or um, a good friend of mine just died or something. And hey, everybody, hug your kids extra hard tonight and yeah. make sure that you live your life right. And we all have those throughout our lifetime, obviously, as we get older, especially. And we don't always, you know, recognize it for the long term. It's, a, it's that camp high that we get from something something that sticks with us. So I think, you know, yeah. And I know. Look, I'm, I'm trying to give you a pat on your back. <laughs> I, just accept it. I get so hard. It's so hard <laughs> to be patted. <laughs> and, you know, look at it's, it's not perfect by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, right? You, right. You have an ideal and you try to do the ideal and you try to, you know, our parents are lessons in how to's and how not to's. Uh, totally. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it, it's interesting. My older sister and I are the ones who have 
kids. My 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 younger younger sister Kate just uh, has she has a couple of really little ones. Mm-hmm. But my older sister and I, our kids are older, and we're both still married to our spouses. And I think you know, if you're the child of divorce, I think we both went at marriage and kids very intently. Mm-hmm. that was not going to be an experience we were going to put on our kids, which is ironic too, mm-hmm. because when you think about the first part of this conversation, it was, well, divorce is just kind of normal because I was young and that's the way it goes. I mean, we just, that was, I didn't know any better, but boy, I will tell you having kids and then reflecting back on your own childhood, there's moments of pause where you go like, Hey, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Why couldn't you get your guys, get your stuff together? Mm-hmm. Because I'm here with my kids, and you know what? You know, missing birthdays—that doesn't. That's how could you do that kind of stuff? Yeah. And it wasn't until you have that experience that it really kind of hit home in a couple of ways. And you know, there's probably some moments of uh, frustration, yeah, that I didn't experience when I was a little kid. That I definitely came to after I had my kids. Uh, and you reflect back on your own childhood and go, uh, wait just a minute here. It's funky, though. I mean, that's like with life and that and whatever whatever negative thing it is, you know, there are the different ways that people go. There are the people whose parents divorce and they end up getting divorced mm. however many times. You know, there's the people whose parents were an alcoholic and they ended up being an alcoholic. And I think sometimes, you know, not right on down the line or anything like that, but there are the people who, I don't know if they, if that, if all of these things are how hereditary or genetic they are, but some people I think use that a little bit maybe as a crutch and some people uh, maybe create that idea that, oh my God, I'm prone to this because of whatever reason. And, you know, it goes both ways that some people drive harder against that, like you were saying, and say, I don't want that to be the life for my kids. And so I'm absolutely avoiding that at all costs. Well, if any, if being married has taught me anything and my wife is the shining example of how past is not necessarily prologue from the standpoint of her childhood was challenging, really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is a person who could have easily fallen into the, Oh, you know, this, this was my disastrous childhood and I will succumb to it. Mm-hmm. But individually, she's this. She came out, you know, hot fires forged steel. As the strongest person I've ever met in my entire life, mm-hmm. there is nothing about her childhood that would make you think she is the most together, dialed-in person you've ever met in your entire life. Hands down, it's individual. Totally. It really is. People, you can take two people, drop them into the exact same situation, one to fall to pieces and one will overcome. It's amazing. And, and there have been times like even that, um, you see how hard people have to battle that and rage against it. Mm. And for some people, it's just kind of 
almost, you know, it's like what you were talking about or what we were talking about with charisma. Like it almost seems uh, like an innate value that they have that they just kind of do. And well, the other thing too is look, and it goes back to this too. I think we, uh, being a parent and watching your kids grow for the, the last, you know, 20, almost 21 years now, if there's one thing that, and maybe this is going to sound like the biggest excuse in the world, these kids are hardwired when they're, <laughs> when they land in the world, mm-hmm. there's so much mm-hmm. of their personality that is baked in. And I can speak to this too, because they have twins They're I mean, they're fraternal twins. They're not identical. I mean, their personalities were apparent 10 minutes out of the womb. We knew mm-hmm. who was who and what they're going to be like. And, oh, shit, that one's going to be trouble. And what the heck is going on with that one? This is bizarre. And I mean, and it's not like we, you know, Skinner boxed one of them and you know, let the other one get raised by wolves or anything like that. You know, we you know, you try to do everything equitably and you feed them the same food, you dress them the same way. But they're just could not be more different people. Well. I can't thank you enough, Dave, for being on the podcast. It's been, even though we just kind of really hit the ground and never stopped running, it's it's uh, been a very cool conversation. And wow, that story about your dad, like I... Well, I, you know, Tim, I, I, I got to say I appreciate it. And I appreciate the forum to be able to share something like that. I mean, it's obviously, um, it's intensely personal stuff, but it's a story that, I've told only a couple times to a few people who it felt relevant to. So being mm-hmm. able to share it uh, with you and whoever's listening, I hope that it uh, is impactful in, in any way that it can be uh, because it certainly has been for me. I didn't even say like I had a fairly similar experience with my dad when he, cause my dad died of cancer mm. in 90 and I was um, just shy of my 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. And so same thing. He he actually he had brain cancer mm-hmm. and he was diagnosed that summer and died in November. So it was a yep. you know like a five month, four month, five month um, depreciation of life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, going through all of that, the just like you said, seeing somebody of such stature, not only like in your brain of your dad, of this person who is charismatic, you know, my dad was kind of that, um, he wasn't the life of the party kind of person like you were describing your dad to be, but he was loved by many and was a rock in a lot of people's lives. And seeing that person go through that backwards transformation. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, as, as we were doing things to help my dad and he didn't do any chemo or any radiation or anything like that. And, but we were doing some like homeopathic kind of treatments at home and giving, like we were giving him a bunch of injections and doing all kinds of stuff. And eventually like one, you know, he was paralyzed on one side and then was in a wheelchair. And I could just see so many times the, uh, personal like beyond humiliation that he was feeling of his youngest son like doing these things for him and just seeing how 
deflating that was to him and you know the complete reversal of life of me being his son that he has taken care of and done all this stuff for and then him having to put himself in such a humble place and I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. There's a level of being humbled mm-hmm. that goes along with that level of illness and not being able to be the person you knew you were. Yeah. And feeling it slip away. And I think that, you know, my dad for a while flailed as he went through different types of care like like grasping it i mean became macrobiotic for a time and then was drinking mm-hmm. juices for a time and intense radiation therapy for a time and that's those moments i think when it's like sand going through your fingers you start to see it you, you, you it, i don't know if it's panic i don't know if it's an attempt to get back to what was but yeah i i i, I feel and i recognize exactly what you're saying and it's it's hard to watch your parent to do that. Yeah, it's humbling in its own right to not just to them but to you. Right, totally. So yeah, and and I was gonna say like my final visit to my dad. You, were, I thought you were gonna go down the same exact path mm. that I went down because I went to the hospital and was there with a bunch of people and. I can't remember what I had to do, but I had to do something and I had to leave the hospital and I left, which I didn't really want to do at all, came back and he had just passed away while I was gone. And um, he had been nonverbal for quite some time leading up to that anyways. And yeah, that was, again, still a moment that, and all of those last moments of him in that hospital mm. are just things that you don't forget. And and when you do think of them, it is absolutely like that driving force of I need to take hold of the important things in life. And that's a big reason that this whole thing exists of Daddy Unscripted mm. and um, me trying to kind of do that part of documenting greatness that may not even be something that people are recognizing in that way, but can be very, you know, I hear from quite a few people in the audience that are like, wow, this guy who is somebody that maybe nobody even knew ever before that is listening to the podcast has just made them think of doing something different in their lives. So that conversation that story that you're telling i know is going to have an impact on people so i i definitely appreciate that well i think for like i said it's it's a it's been a really fun conversation uh, we've covered a lot of ground but i just appreciate the opportunity to be able to uh share some of the some of the thoughts i had on it yeah and the good thing that i love about this conversation as well and your story and your life really is i um, like these opportunities to be able to say like kudos to the women, mm-hmm. like you, what you were saying about your mom and about, uh, your wife and your sisters, like, uh, mother's day just recently passed. And I absolutely feel the strength of that, of 
And especially now with so many things that are going on in our nation and our world, I am not sexist in any way, shape or form. And I very much am uh, constantly like in awe of women and the great things that they do. So I'm, I'm glad that you have um, so many strong females that are around you and supporting you and yeah i am uh and recognized how incredibly blessed i am to from day one be surrounded by so and have been drawn to incredibly strong and powerful women uh that and my mother my sisters my wife my daughters uh the list goes on uh, mm-hmm. That just uh, it it is hard not to be in awe of of them, and uh, yeah. I recognize how blessed I am on a regular basis. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys can um, go and find Dave and push his numbers on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! And Join the so crowd. He- Yep. <laughs> Hurry because they're going to put a cat. <laughs> We're going to go break the Twitters. <laughs> um, but on Twitter, uh, Dave Almy, uh, just as it's spelled D A V E A L M Y. And then uh, if you care to look up his company, is it adcpartners.com? That's exactly it. Okay, perfect. And um, Dave, seriously, thank you so much. And when not i i hope this isn't an if it's ridiculous if if it is but when i um make my way back up to your neck of the woods we are absolutely oh yeah get up here for sure yeah we are definitely going to hang out and same you know if you're ever down here in southern orange county let me know yeah here's a big hint right we are we are within a stone's throw of the loganitas brewery so uh we'll have to make oh, sure yeah. we'll frequent uh we'll frequent what their their wares when you come up yeah thanks tim appreciate it Yeah, thank you. Okay, and that is the end of this episode. That awesome conversation with Dave Almy and myself. Dave, thank you again for taking part in that and for finding the time to be able to talk. It was truly like I tweeted about the fact that I was editing this together a little bit ago, and uh, I think I surprised Dave. I'm sure there was a little inkling in the back of his head or of at some point in time of is this ever coming out? And here it is just two years later, like a fine aged wine. And I hope uh, you got a lot out of that you as a listener. And Dave, thanks again. I hope you got something out of hearing that again. I'm sure there's stuff that you didn't remember we talked about. And um, I hope that I edited that together in a way that still rings very true to what the core of our conversation was. Oh, I should also say, I definitely want to say thank you to Umphreys McGee, who is back out on the road doing concerts for allowing me to have their music on the podcast as always. So check out Umphreys.com to see if they are playing near you. They would be a great treat to be able to see. I'm looking forward to actually seeing them. They were the concert that was supposed to be next on my list literally the day that everything got shut down 
here in Southern California because we were supposed to see them on a Friday night and it got shut down that day. So check out umphreeze.com for them, just like Bruce did with Dave and just like Dave maybe will with others. I will remind you guys, I love getting these different ideas from listeners and from guests on who I should have on next. Great stories that I can talk about with people. And now with We're Here Alone Together, with Who Tells Your Story, those two little side paths of my podcast, it has opened it up tremendously for you who know these great people about who I can talk to. I'm still working on a couple of new guests right now, trying to plot those out. I've got some great ideas. I've got some emails out to people, but it always helps when you bring me somebody in who you are like, yes, he would not have known of this person or he would not have thought of this person. Like, does he not know that Matt Damon is so ready to be on his podcast? I've been saying that maybe since episode one and that won't end the podcast but someday i'm sure it's coming maybe episode 100 this was episode 97 i'm only three episodes away from that crowning achievement of my 100th episode which will be really exciting and maybe i should say the word episode again because i've said that so many times in the last one minute it's kind of creepy but thank you guys for being here for listening for participating in different conversations on uh, whether you're hitting me up on email or whether you're direct messaging me through social media, which you can do at Daddy Unscripted on Instagram, on Twitter. You can do it through Facebook. I will tell you, like I've, I've gotten rid of my personal Facebook. I basically have one because I have to for this and for my nine to five job as well. But uh, I would say the easier way is either to reach out through Instagram or through Twitter. Also, you can email me at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. All of you, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you taking this in and the little messages that you leave me the replies on Twitter or whatever it may be uh, it really does keep me invested in this and I really can't thank you guys enough keep sending people here because there is going to continue to be new and lively guests with amazing stories that's my drive stories that inspire other people stories that maybe teach us some cool life lessons that we can learn from whether good or bad and I'm just here for the genuine conversation with other people that can continue to show us the positivity in mankind. Like now more than ever, that is such a cool and important thing that I think we all need to continue to see. And, um, you know, it doesn't always have to be that shiny penny that we find on the road once every two years. These people that are out there that are really good, that are amazing finds, don't have to be so hidden and don't have to be so randomly discovered. So I'm here to find that shiny penny every single day and to help the rest of you see it as well. And it's not a it's not a Bitcoin. It's an actual it's an actual penny. Uh, all right, you guys. So keep your eyes open. Next episode, I'm not going to like set myself up for failure. Next episode should be out in the next three to four weeks here again. And if it's not, there may be some kind of surprise that's 
earlier than that. But otherwise, just keep an eye out for that. And the easiest way is to subscribe to the podcast so it just shows up on your app immediately. Or also go and follow me in those places on social media at Daddy Unscripted. Thank you. Thank all of you. Thank you, Dave. And be good to other people out there. Be kind. Be generous. And say some kind words that are sincere and meaningful. And show empathy as genuinely as humanly possible. It just helps make the world better. It really does. I'm convinced of that. All right, you guys. Thanks so much.